Thank you, Jeremy and team. Can we give it up for our worship team? I really love, oh, good. All right, we got it over with. We don't clap for him again, clear? (laughs) Really, I'm glad to be here and worshiping together with you this morning. If you have your Bibles with you, I invite you to open up to the book of Deuteronomy. We're gonna interrupt our series in 2 Samuel uh, to continue in that, we will, next week. But I think it's important for us in our hearts and in our minds to have clarity of purpose, that what the leadership of the church is inviting and asking and tasking us with is biblical, is tied and rooted deeply in the word of God. We are not free to worship God in any way we choose. He tells us how to worship him. Just like a great marriage, a husband should be learning what his wife desires and finds pleasure in. And he gives her that. And vice versa, she, studying him, would offer the gifts and and things that he desires. You do that not out of obligation, but out of the beauty and joy of love. God commands us to worship him, and he has the authority and right to do so. And we worship him on his terms because he is our glorious king and we, his joy-filled servants. So open up to the book of Deuteronomy chapter six. We're gonna begin in verse four and go through verse nine. This is the word of God. Please hear and receive it as such. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and and when you wake up, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand. And they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Please pray with me. Oh, Heavenly Father, as we come, we come as men and women and children who are too comfortable in our silence. Lord, we come as men and women and children who are eager to engage with the world around us more than to engage with the one who created the world we live in. Father, forgive us for this and teach and train us that we might glorify you in our minds and and in our hearts and through our lives. Father, would you teach us your word? Would you speak to us? Would you speak to us with all the comfort and hope that can only be found in you? Come and speak to your people that we might know and love you all the more and that we might love our neighbors truly 
deeply, even sacrificially, as we are drawn to the glory of the way that you love, may you equip and encourage us to love in this way also. We ask it in Jesus' name and all God's people agree. Amen. Why are we going to memorize Scripture in 2023? First of all, that's really weird to say. 2023 feels like yesterday it was 2003, and we were welcoming Sydney into our home, preparing for her. God tells us to worship him in the study and memorization of Scripture. And that should be enough for us, yes? That God commands it should settle the matter in our hearts. That we are to learn and teach. We're to learn and teach his word. Listen to verse 7. You shall teach the scriptures the word of God diligently to your children. These commandments, these truths, you should talk of them in every daily situation. That's what's happening in the Shema here. That he's telling Israel in the book of Deuteronomy, it's a giant covenantal text. This is God establishing his governance over his people on the eve of them entering the promised land that he's promised. You want to know what what God expects of his people? Book of Deuteronomy is filled with the joy of God's covenant life and expectation unfolding within its pages. So hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. Your whole person should be involved in this expression of worship. And so these things are not just true for you. They're not just true for those adults in the room. But we are all children, yes? Some of us are older than others. Some of us have more birthdays under our belts. Some of us have more wear and tear on our bodies. But we are nonetheless children adopted into this household of faith. And so we teach them so that we will learn them and so that the generations that follow would know them. Why do we memorize scripture? The first, because God commands it. It could not be clearer. You shall bind them on a, as a sign on your hand. They're frontlets between your eyes. If you've ever met a very orthodox Jew, you will see that they take these commandments very literally and they actually wear the commandments of God on their person in frontlets, on their hands or wrists. In other words, before you see what's in front of you, you should see the word of God. And it's the lens by which 
all the other things in view can rightly be understood. They're bound on your hands that you might know the purpose of your work every day. Whether that is work as a boss or an employee, whether that's work as a student or a friend, a neighbor or a colleague, this work that we do is bound by his ownership of us as our God, as our creator, and as our redeemer. But I think most of us spend large seasons of our life viewing the study of Scripture as burdensome. Aren't there whole seasons of our lives where if we have extra, if we have margin, if we have time, then we will crack the spine of our Bibles. Then we will blow away the dust upon it as it rested on the shelf. I don't have to shame you about your relationship in those seasons. You carry that with you already. My invitation to you is to take that shame where it belongs. The foot of the cross. Child of God, be forgiven. Walk in newness of life. And believe, not only with your heart on Sunday mornings, not only on your mind on Saturday nights, believe every day that the command to know Scripture is not burdensome. It is life-giving. The command to know Scripture is not burdensome. That's a lie. It is life-giving. It is soul refreshing. It is mind clearing. It is weight removing. Worship through the memorization of scripture because it's life giving. He tells us to. Second, we are committed to memorizing scripture because it belongs to you and to your kids. It belongs to you and your kids. Listen to Moses much later on in the book of Deuteronomy as he's begging and urging and commanding and directing and guiding and guarding the people of God. He tells them, Deuteronomy 29, Verse 29, it's really good that it's 29, 29, because that's easier to remember. Here's what he says. He says, the secret things belong to Yahweh, our God. But the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever. That we may do all the words of this law. Do you hear the invitation? Do you hear the truth? This belongs to us. I'm glad that they're not all this size. But this is yours. How many people have bled and died that you would know and have this book? 
We spent a day last week, my family and some other friends, at the Bible Museum in Washington, D.C. And I could not leave the fourth uh, floor, hardly at all, because it walked through the history of Scripture being passed on from generation to generation. It had rabbinical insight that I didn't know, and it was way cooler than I thought it was going to be. It was way nicer. It's better than the Smithsonian. Etched glass everywhere. I can't believe it. Christians own something nice. It's gorgeous. Make time. Go and see. But in that fourth floor, you see encased hundreds of years of manuscripts, hand-scrawled. Were you guys not amazed at how tiny the etching was? on all of these things, stones and replicas, and it was unbelievable. Tiny, tiny writing, because otherwise they look like this. God has given us his precious word, and it belongs to you. That means that every verse, every jot, every tittle is not some weight upon your shoulders. It is a flowering, blooming garden in your hearts. It is designed for fruitfulness and faithfulness and joy. It belongs to you. But it does not just belong to you. It's not ice cream in your freezer that you know when you get it, it tastes good, and then you put it back. This is a self-replicating, self-regenerating. You can't end the joy of Scripture. You can be taught too much at once, right, Sid? <laughs> we met for breakfast, and we're going through the book of Galatians together. And it's awesome. But she had, you know, stayed diligently studying the Word with me, and We'd gone about 90 minutes, and she was all in, still there, totally focused. And by the time the second hour hit, she was not there. So we can get overloaded by Scripture, but it can't be powerless to us because it belongs to us. It was given to us and to our kids. It's not just for you. It belongs to you. It belongs to you in this generation but it belongs to your kids for the next generation and the one after that and the one after that and the one after that until he returns. And it also warns us and helps us with questions scripture is never trying to answer. Did you know that there are questions that God doesn't answer? He knows the answer, but he does not give it. He's not holding out on us. He's not being a miser and a penny pincher and giving us only a little bit and hoarding the rest. He's giving us everything we need for life. He's giving us everything we need for godliness. He's giving us everything he wants us to know for now, for here, for the ministry and life that he has given you. So yes, there are secret things that belong to him, but what is revealed what is revealed to us belongs to us. So you can look at any Bible and think that belongs to me. 
Those words, they're for me. That truth, I'm bound by it and undergirded and supported by it. The things that are revealed, they belong to us. Notice it's plural. Did you catch that? They don't just belong to you in isolation. They belong to you in community. We living as a church in community, family of families, belongs to us. It also belongs to our children. It doesn't mean that it belongs only to your biological children. In the household of faith, all of these kids are ours. They're our responsibility. When they come up for baptism, do we not as a congregation agree that we will aid these parents in raising them up in the fear and admonition of the Lord? Do we not covenant with one another to welcome these young ones, to bid them come to Christ by faith. Baptism doesn't save. Praying for them every night is great, but it doesn't save them. Faith comes by hearing the word of God. Paul tells us in Romans 10. So why do we memorize scripture? Because God tells us to. Second, because it belongs to you. And to your kids. Third, third, it helps us guard against sin and overcome temptation. Scripture helps us guard against sin. Have there been times in your life where you've woken up and sin is elusive? You were blinded, you just didn't see it, and then all of a sudden you woke up to it? And you're like, wait, this has been wrong the whole time? Yes, yes it has. It's been wrong the whole time. And you bear the scars of it. You bear the weight of it. Scripture stored in our hearts enables us, is used by the Spirit of God to warn us and strengthen us that we would not sin as we have. Or as we would, were he not showing it to us. I have stored up your word in my heart, the psalmist says. In Psalm 119, verse 11. This is the memory verse for this week. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Not only does it help us guard against sin, it helps us overcome temptation. Let me try and explain to you how this works. Because the devil will tell us half-truths in the opposite places. When you are tempted to sin, you face that temptation, the devil will whisper, it's no big deal. Jesus died and forgives you for it. Go ahead. No? Just me? God forgives. Go ahead. That's the whisper of evil in the moment of temptation. So what happens after you've indulged and succumbed 
in the hour of temptation. The devil will then whisper at you. (laughs) No. The devil will then shout at you. How could you do that? You're a Christian. And Christians don't do these things. How could you? Over here, it was don't worry, he forgives. But afterwards, it's the accusation, how could you? You're a Christian. Do you understand that that whisper is wrong in both places? In the moment of temptation, we should hear the voice that says, no, no, Christians, we're not to do that. We love God, we're his people. We don't do that. We don't yield to that. We don't succumb to that. We don't indulge that. Christ's name is written on our hearts. He's, he's put us in the palms of his scarred hands. That's not for us. And in the power of the scripture, scripture can come to mind. And you can say no. No, that's not true. That's not good. That's not for me. And we walk back from the temptation. Paul tells us that there's no temptation so strong that God doesn't give you a way out. How are you to get out if you don't have the light to shine the path to exit? But when you're over here, and we get over here, don't we? Don't we see the sin, understand the sin, and indulge it anyway? It's in this moment, it's in this place that we should hear the thunderous claims of God that he has fully satisfied the burden of shame and guilt and that it has belonged to him from the hour of crucifixion. Live free. Not free to indulge because you might be free from the guilt of sin, but the consequence of sin, ask David, still can remain as a sign of God's judgment. But you can be free, believer. But you see how it's switched? It's go ahead, he forgives from the devil, and how dare you? But in the economy of the kingdom of heaven, it's no, how dare we? He forgives. He forgives. So when we think of why do we memorize scripture, we hide the word of God in our hearts that we can see temptation for what it is and what it does so that we can see clearly the path to walk away from that temptation. Isn't it the great patriarch in the hour of temptation who runs away so crisp and clear that he leaves his coat in the woman's hands? How many times in your life have you run from sin with that, let's call it verve, with that commitment and unyielding force? The study of scripture, the memorization of scripture guards you against sin and aids you in overcoming temptation. Fourth, 
Fourth, it equips us for daily ministry. Listen to Paul as he writes to the young pastor Timothy in 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. All scripture is breathed out by God. It is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. That the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Every good work. Well, some of you might say, well, you see it's only for men. It's only for pastors. It's only for those ruling and teaching elders. It's the man of God. Well, let's be clear about this phrase. The phrase is from the Old Testament, as almost all of Paul's instructions are to be found. We're not New Testament Christians. We're biblical Christians. Understanding the New Testament through the framework of God's revelation. This phrase, the man of God, it means a messenger of God. Now, how many of you are called to be messengers of God? That's not a male thing. That's not even an adult thing. This is a vibrancy of faith thing. All of scripture is exhaled by God. He breathes it out for us. He speaks it. You cannot speak without exhaling, true? Paul's trying to help us understand that the giving of scripture is like or patterned after his speaking all of creation. What a special work of God if the pattern is tied to that. Scripture is for you, it belongs to you, it guards you, but it also equips you. It equips you for what? We're told at the end of 17, for every good work. There's work that he's called us to do. We saw that Christmas Eve, didn't we? That while the light is among us, we are to work soon, day will come to an end, and in the night, no one works. Now is the hour of the labor of the people of God, the work of God. I gotta tell you, when I was in the Bible Museum, many amazing things, many manuscripts, I already told you about that, but there's also this very, very compelling room, and you walk into it, and it has all the known languages of the world, categorized, and it's color-coded. These are the languages that have Old and New Testament fully translated. These are the languages that have the New Testament fully translated. These are the languages that have only the Old Testament translated. These ones only have a whole book translated. These ones only have a single chapter of a book translated. And then my heart broke. Brothers and sisters, my heart broke when I looked that more than half the room of known languages does not have a single verse of scripture translated for them to read and study and know. It was like, 
I mean, 8% had everything, and like 25% or 30% had, you know, these are my assessments of the visual. But my heart broke, because there are people all over our earth that do not know the testimony of Jesus Christ and cannot study Scripture. It is breathed out by God that we might know him and understand and make sense of the world we live in. There were too many blue books on empty canisters. Give your lives to the study of scripture. My heart broke because I thought in one moment, what happens in China where Bibles can be scarce and elders are ripped from congregations and families and jailed and tortured. What do you do when the pages of Scripture itself are illegal to possess in your hands? Persecution can strip us of our Bibles, of every verse that is not hidden away in our hearts. They can take the Bible from my shelf, from my nightstand, from my study table, but they can't touch the word of God in my heart. They cannot touch the word of God in my mind. There were too many blue canisters. And I'm too lazy. I'm too occupied. I'm too busy to commit the green ones in my heart. And I get paid to do it. You, as a parent, you as a boss, you as an employee, a student, a friend, a colleague, a neighbor, son or daughter, you have a ministry to do. You don't wait to do ministry. You have it. The moment you are drawn to Christ, he is equipping you for the ministry and work that he has commanded of you. Scripture is breathed out by God and it is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction. How many known errors exist in the creeds of our culture? When God calls you to Christ, he anoints you as a missionary everywhere you go to work, to serve, to love, to teach, to share. The memorization of Scripture equips you for daily ministry, not vocational ministry only. So it belongs to you, it guards you, it equips you, but the memorization of scripture also encourages fellow believers, including you. It encourages fellow believers. Listen to Colossians 3.16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, 
teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. In other words, the memorization and study of Scripture saturates our hearts with truth. Does your heart need to be saturated with truth? Does not your mind need to be renewed and transformed by truth, the truth of God's word, the love that he has for his people, the work that he's outlined and enabled us to do? Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching, admonishing, not just the outsider. The gospel has more power when I speak it to you than it does when it rattles around in the echoes of your own mind. True? Aren't there times where people tell you things you already know and it's like sunlight that beats back darkness? Do you lack an understanding of the gospel? Not if you hang out in this church for a long time. But that doesn't mean that the echoes of your own mind are as powerful as when a brother or sister lays their hands on you, holds your hands through tears, through joyous shouts, as we recognize what he's doing in any given moment to us, through us, for us. I need you to preach the gospel to me. I need my wife to preach the gospel to me. I need my kids to preach the gospel to me. And they need to preach it to each other. And I need to preach it to them, not just from a pulpit, but from my knees on their bedside, at my dinner table, as they eat. My kids need the gospel because I need the gospel. And the echoes aren't as powerful as the voices. They just aren't. The invitation is to encourage one another with Scripture. Correct when things need correcting, whether it's behavior or theology, sure. But also, do you hear the delight of Paul in the Word of God as he walks through these commandments? Sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with gratitude. With gratitude. Thank you for teaching me the gospel, for speaking it to me when I'm down and out. Thank you for loving me in hard seasons. Thank you for forgiving me when I fail you. But nothing encourages me or you more than the gospel of Jesus Christ. Encourage fellow believers. That's why we would study scripture and memorize it. So that in the moment of truth and need, your lips are a holy instrument. We use our tongues for all kinds of evil. Wouldn't it be delightful to live in a community where people tell you the truth and use their mouths and their tongues to speak life into you? Because our words are death or our words are life. There's no neutral. Encourage your fellow believers So the scripture belongs to you, it guards you, it equips you, it enables you to encourage. And six, it helps you make wise decisions. The study and memorization of scripture helps you make wise decisions. 
in the longest chapter of the Bible, Psalm 119, verse 105. Your word is what? A lamp. And what does that lamp allow you to do? To see where you should walk. Now, how many of you wish God would give you a map of your life? Go here, do this, marry them, do that, have these kids. Nope, not right now. Do this, don't do that. This job, that place, this location, that church. Don't you wish it was all laid out for you? No, you don't. Because you don't do the thing that's in front of you that he's telling you. You think you're going to walk the whole map? You can't walk the map if you're unwilling to walk two steps. A lamp is not a lighted sidewalk. It's not a paved road. I'm getting a little older, and one of the things that I've woken up to this year, I mean literally in 2022, all last year, I was waking up to night driving. Driving at night, when you get older, it's harder, isn't it? Why? I don't know, my eyes are deteriorating or something. I can't give you the science, but I can tell you this. I can take more gulps when I'm driving at night than I ever would when the sun is out. And if it's raining, forget it. I'm holding back panic. I'm 47. How do you guys do this? A lamp only shines for a few steps. That's it. But if you're obedient in those steps, guess what? The lamp goes with you and shines the next three and the next three and the next three. You don't need a map. You need a lamp. And he's giving it to you. Maglites have spoiled us. We study scripture and memorize it because God commands it. We do so because it belongs to us and our kids. We do so because it guards against sin and it overcomes temptation. We do so because it equips us for daily ministry. We do so so that we can encourage the brethren of any age in any circumstance. And we do so because without it, we would not, could not make wise decisions. The world's wisdom is foolishness. And we are saturated in foolishness. We must be saturated in Scripture. Without God's word in our hearts to guide us, we can easily stumble around in darkness, unable to see the way ahead unable to know what path to take. But the promise here is that the more we fill our minds with Scripture, the more we delight our hearts in the singing of righteous psalms and hymns, the more we will find the Holy Spirit bringing those Scriptures back to memory in situations where we need wisdom or answers or direction. True? Isn't that a beautiful thing that in the moment of temptation, 
that the Spirit will bring Scripture to mind so that we can see clearly the path to take and clearly the path to leave? I'll give you a bonus. One more reason. It's a balm for uncertainty. We as humans, we don't like uncertainty. It's why you want a map instead of a lamp. We don't like surprises. We don't like changes. The memorization of Scripture can be a balm for uncertainty. It can heal the wounds of trauma because God's word is true. It's true. It's true. And it never changes because God never changes. It's a balm for uncertainty because when you open its pages, it's as true and trustworthy in our generation as it was a thousand years ago as it was 2,000 years ago, as it was 3,500 years ago, and I don't even know how to understand that measurement. I don't even get like 400 years. You think I get 3,500 years? 80 generations? 200 generations? I can, my brain doesn't understand concepts like that. But I can study scripture and know God. Because he is unchanging. And the words he speaks are true and unchanging. So let's recap. Why are we memorizing scripture in 2023? We're doing it for six reasons. Because God tells us to. Because it belongs to us and to our kids. Third, because it helps us guard against sin and overcome temptation. Four, because it equips you for daily ministry. Five, because it encourages fellow believers, including yourself. And six, because memorizing scripture helps you make wise decisions. And you don't have to be old or young for the decisions of your life to matter. For the stakes of your choices to change the direction or even the finality of your life. So I have two responses for us. The first is for your personal reflection. What would your life look like if you daily reminded yourself of the promises, of the blessings, of the vitality of life that Jesus has purchased and secured for you? What would your life look like if you daily reminded yourself of the promises, blessings, and life that Jesus has purchased and secured for us? And second, second, I have a lunch challenge. And if you can't do it today at lunch, do it tonight at dinner, tomorrow, sometime this week. Here's my task for your encouragement for one another. This can't be done by yourself. Share with each other a time when remembering a Bible verse helped you make a good decision or comforted you. Share with each other a time when remembering a Bible verse helped you either make a good decision 
or comforted you? Can we do this? Is this hard? Is this too much? Can we memorize 22 verses or small passages this year together? Brent's going to come and share next week, not the sermon, but in the announcements, the grid by which we're going to do this. Because there's going to be the introduction of new verses, and then there'll be other weeks where we're, we're practicing and all of that. And then get ready. Every once in a while, we as a church could have a pop quiz. Everybody loves pop quizzes, yes? So I might say, hey, does anybody want to share with us the verse from last week? And children of any age could stand up and say it. We're going to all memorize in the ESV. I know that some of us use different translations and that kind of thing. But as a church, we're going to kind of learn this together so we can share together at the same time. Just like we confess together, let's confess together. Sound good? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we have one simple request. And that is that you would use our study and memorization of Scripture to enable us to love you and to love our neighbors. We ask you to do this in Jesus' name. And all God's people agree.